It's not as if God didn't plead. It's not as if God did not pour his heart out. It's not as if God did not show us that he loved us and sent his son to die for us so we might be saved. It's not as if he didn't confront us over and over and over again and compel us to turn from our ways, turn from our hypocrisy, turn from living our own direction, our own will, and turn to follow him. It's not as if he didn't plead with us to do that over and over and over again. It's that we said no over and over and over again. And then we wanted to change our mind when the consequences of our actions show up on the door. And Jesus warns us and says that's just not the way it works. The number of times that the Lord Jesus warned his listeners not to be deceived about their salvation is alarming. The wise and foolish builders, the trees that produce fruit and those that do not, the sheep and the goats, the faithful and unfaithful servants, the list of parables that Jesus used to warn us that hell awaits those whose salvation is not genuine is extensive. In today's message, Pastor Joplin teaches on the parable of the ten virgins. Half of them would make it to heaven, the other half would not. Listen in to find out what made the difference, and most importantly, to know which side you are on. The number of times that Jesus warned his listeners about not being deceived concerning their salvation is alarming. The wise and foolish builders, the house built on the rock, the house built on the sand, the tree that produces fruit, the one that does not, the good tree, the bad tree, the sheep and the goats, the faithful and unfaithful servants. The list of parables is exhaustive that Jesus used to warn us that hell awaits those whose salvation is not genuine. Today, I want us to look at this parable, the parable of the ten virgins, and deal with this topic. I'll submit to you this is an incredibly important topic. If Jesus dealt with the exact same concept with this story and this story and this parable and this parable, all of them really saying the exact same thing. Be warned, there are a multitude who think they're saved that aren't. Be warned, there are a multitude who think they're going to heaven but are not. Be warned, there are a multitude who think they're going to stand before God and be allowed into heaven's gates and God is going to shut the door on them and tell them, I don't know you. Jesus warns this over and over and over again. This isn't like the lone parable where we draw this from this morning. It's a very important topic. One that Christ himself was so serious about, he taught it repeatedly. So this morning we're going to take a look at this parable. One of the interesting things about this particular parable is that it's one of the most favorable as far as ratio is concerned. In this particular parable, Christ gives us the idea that maybe 50% make it and 50% don't. Now, it's also really important that we understand Christ is only dealing with those who believe they're saved. This isn't like 50% of the world. No, this is 50% of people who call themselves Christians and actually believe they're Christians. Christ says of that number, that small number, 
In this scenario, about half are going to make it, half of them aren't. That's serious. Matthew chapter 7, he says that many, it's a word that actually means most, most who will come to him calling him Lord, he's going to turn away and say, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't think there's a more important question this morning than which side are you on? And if these deceived believers had no idea they were deceived, how do you know that you're not? How do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? I don't think there's a more important question that you'll ever answer in all of your life. So we're going to look this morning and learn a few things here from the parable of the ten virgins, really with an emphasis on learning from the foolish virgins. What can we look about them? What are some characteristics of them that will teach us how to define the difference between the true and the false, between the wise and the foolish? Okay, number one this morning, the foolish have no principle within them. The lamp and the fire, all for show on the outside. But there was no real principle within to allow that lamp to continue to do what it was designed to do. They were more concerned about anything just looking like everyone else. Newsflash, we all look like Christians this morning. We showed up, we sang Christian songs, we're sitting through Christian sermons, we're doing the Christian thing. What looks is not what always is. And one of the principles of the foolish virgins in this parable who end up being shut out of heaven is that there's no real principle within You need to understand something about true, authentic Christianity, something Jesus is warning his hearers of this morning, is that real Christianity is a matter of the heart. It is something that happens within. And when it is real and when it is true and when it is authentic, it will impact what we do on the outside. But make no mistake about it, it is possible to fake the actions of Christianity without having any sincere devotion and love for God in your heart. There are a lot of different reasons people fake Christianity. Some have deceived themselves and they just believe heaven's real and want to make sure they don't go to hell. And so they decide they're going to start doing some actions that they think will ensure that. They want to look like everybody else that's going to heaven. Some, it's family, it's friends, upbringing, pressures, for one reason or another, They come, and they have a lamp like everybody else, but deep inside, they have no true, sincere devotion to God at all. This is one of the very first characteristics of the foolish virgins, is that they had no real principle deep within. Everyone's a Christian when they show up to church. But when the night goes long, and the battle gets dark all of a sudden the fire seems to dim and go away. It's one thing to profess Christ. It's another thing to actually live for Him. Jesus said if anybody wants to come, that's the good news. There's not anybody that's shut out yet. 
If you're here and you got breath in your lungs and you've got a heart that's beating under your chest, you need to know that the door is open to you today. Jesus said, if anybody come. But then here's what followed. Let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. It's an invitation to die to your own life, your own will, your own ways, and make him Lord. He must be God over all. His law must rule your life. That's the invitation. It's not an invitation to come and pray. It's not an invitation to come and dress like everybody else and carry a lamp around like everybody else. It's not an invitation to look like something. It is an invitation to die to yourself and follow Jesus Christ. That happens deep inside the heart of a man. Many of you right now, under the sound of my voice, you know if you've really made that decision or not. You know. You know if you're just going through the motions. You know if you have any real, true principle deep within concerning how serious you are about your faith and your relationship to Christ. That's the first thing we can see from the foolish virgins. They had no principle within. Number two, the foolish make no provision for what is to come. They barely had enough to look the part. They certainly knew how to talk with the others. They knew how to communicate. And you'll find that the foolish, the false, however you want to call it, the deceived, you will find that their faith goes as far as, how do I look saved with everybody else? But they haven't thought any further. They haven't made any more provision for their, this journey that's called faith. They haven't made any more provision for it than to simply look the part around everybody else. Let me tell you something about Christianity. It is a war. It is a battle. It is a fight. It gets hard sometimes. As I've already correctly stated, the initial invitation in the first place is to die to yourself. That's where it starts. And make no mistake about it. That, when it becomes real, is when you enter the battle of the Christian battlefield. It's not easy all the time. And you've got to make provision for what is to come. Too many, all they can think about is, hey, wanting to look Christian here, and then all of a sudden you don't understand why, but you get around your other friends, you get around other influences, you get around other places, you get around your buddies at work, you get around your old female friends that you grew up with, and you find you are a totally different person than who you are here. For many of you, it will literally take less than two hours before you are outside of the church doors that the way you speak actually changes. You are a hypocrite if that's you. And this morning, this message is for you. And if that offends you, what you need to do is not leave offended. You need to repent and get your life right with Jesus. Because there's a problem. If the way you talk in here and the way you act in here is entirely different than how you're going to be acting two two minutes from now or two hours from now. The foolish make no provision for the battle that is ahead. There's no real anticipation of anything ever happening. It's just about looking the part. The foolish do not consider the fact that the Lord's returning. It's not a joke. It's happening. 
and my life is but a vapor. I don't even know if I'm going to live until he returns. I might die before that moment and have to come face to face with him. Those who are wise consider those things. And they make provision for those things. They live for that moment. They understand how important that moment is. It will be the most important moment of their eternity when they stand face to face with him. And the wise want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in to rest. We don't want to hear what the foolish will hear. I never knew you. And have the door shut. The wise make provision for that. The wise understand this is for the long haul. I need to be ready to meet Jesus, not just right here while at church, but two hours from now when I'm not with everybody. I need to be able to stand strong in the face of adversity. I need to be able to have light that lights the way in the darkest of night. Jesus, a handful of times, uses the analogy of the lamp, uses the analogy of light. And you, you might know this, um, this uh, verse, the, the idea of that, you know, you're a city that's set on a hill. And um, ultimately, a city that's set on a hill is meant to cast light in all directions. And then Jesus goes on to say that you don't take a lamp and put it under, you know, under a, a table. Therefore, let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Your light is not truly going to burn before men if you have not made provision to make sure that when that light needs to be burning bright, you've got the strength and the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life in the darkest of nights to be able to burn brightly. The foolish make no provision for what is to come. You know, one of the major reasons for this is that the foolish are really trying to live for everyone else. It's not personal yet. It's not really about God. It's about what's everybody else think. Does old Pastor Joplin think I'm a Christian? Does mom think I'm a Christian? Does my boyfriend think I'm a Christian? my girlfriend think I'm a Christian? Do my parents think I'm a Christian? And the foolish are more concerned about living for what everyone else thinks. Brothers and sisters, it's not everyone else that's going to be showing up at the midnight hour. There's a bridegroom. There's one, and his name's Jesus Christ. And we must come to see we are not living for each other. We are living for him. And in the process of living for him, we will serve one another, and we will love one another. But brothers and sisters, in the end of it all, we answer to him and him alone. And we have got to recapture that sense of love while we are waiting for him. Notice, I'm going to get back to the, the, the uh, five foolish virgins here in a moment. But notice this is a concept of marriage. This is the, the concept of, of brides waiting for their groom. What kind of bride that really loves her fiancé is just going to be playing games and pretending to love him? What kind of bride if she, re I mean, this is when, when we are waiting for the marriage date, this is like when we are, we're doing everything, right? We're preparing ourselves, we're, 
we're loving on, you know, the, the significant other, and we're trying to get everything ready. We even want to look great for the wedding date. We want to look great in front of the pictures. We want it to be a date that we never forget. We want it to be this super significant, special day in all of our lives. Brothers and sisters, this is how we should be living for that day when we are introduced to Jesus face to face. When we hear the call that the groom is coming. And the foolish virgins, they don't live for that moment. They don't think about that moment. They're just kind of going along with the flow in hopes that somehow, some way, as long as they're around the right group of people, when Jesus comes, we all get to go together. And you know what we're about to find out? That just isn't the way that it works. Number three, notice that the foolish gamble with time. In verse 6, all of a sudden, we've got the surprise. It's at midnight. There was a cry. It's time. The foolish gamble with time. The foolish think they've got all the time in the world to get things right, and they're going to wait. They're, going to, they're really going to gamble and try at the right moment, at the right time, to get serious about serving God. No, you won't. I'll tell you why you won't. Because if you won't do it now, you won't do it then. I mean, honestly, if you don't believe that God is worth serving now, if you don't believe that God's worth living for now, if you think that your desires and your wants and your wishes are so much more important than what God's will is for your life, what makes you think at some point later you're actually going to love Him and follow Him like He deserves to be? Because I'll tell you what, He's God now, not just God then. He is God of heaven and earth today. He is the one who commands all people everywhere to repent. He is the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is God today, and He is God alone. He does not change. And if you won't serve Him today, you are deceived into thinking that you're going to somehow gamble with your life, gamble with your time, and at the right moment, once you've lived everything else you've wanted to live, then you're finally finally going to say, okay, God, now I'm going to turn to you so I can go to heaven. That is a gamble I wouldn't take if I was you. 20 years, I've seen people try it. About 9 out of 10 end up splitting hell wide open. I can point to rare scenarios where someone on their deathbed sitting there thinking about the fact they're about to enter eternity, turns their heart to Christ. But I'll tell you this, it's not the norm. There's no guarantee that you're going to get lots of pre-notice that, hey, you're going to die here in six months, and eventually we need you to lay in a bed and think about it for months at a time before you go. You might get taken out by a car four hours from now. A foolish gamble with time. There might even be this sense of honestly knowing I need to get my life right. They really know. There might be a sense of knowing that they're not right with God. They know it. But they're just, they know if they get serious about serving God and they really repent and follow Him, it's going to ruin certain relationships. So they want to wait. See how this relationship works itself out. That process of waiting, it's foolish. It marks the foolish virgins that 
in Jesus' story here, there wasn't a single one of them that somehow made it. They all failed. But it's, that, that, that idea of waiting to get right with God is foolishness. Because if you're willing to do it now, if there are certain things in your life more important to you right now, you can rest assured, of this, rest assured of this, the devil will make sure there's always more important things. Always. He'll make other reasons. If you're willing to take reasons, he'll continue to make them for you. The foolish gambled with time. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Notice they all arose. All of them. And then in their distress, the foolish recognize they don't actually have what it's going to take to get all the way where they need to go. There will come a moment that everybody recognizes. I don't have what it takes. I mean, I looked the part, but now it's time. And when it's actually time, all of a sudden, all that was once keeping the hypocrites from, from being exposed, all of a sudden it vanishes and they are exposed and they need help. And notice their first reaction is, give us some of your oil. Give us some of yours. And here's the tragic truth, brothers and sisters. We can't give you none. We just, it's not how it works. Here's the tragic truth, Tyron. I can't give you none. You got to be saved, son. Now, I'm not saying you're not. This isn't a moment with dad and son here and me trying to get him saved in front of y'all. But the principle applies, guys. I don't care how much I love my kids, I can't give them my oil. That ain't the way it works. You can't give it to your wife, you can't give it to your husband, you can't give it to your mommy and daddy. You got to have the oil yourself. And notice the heart of the true believer. They weren't snarky with the foolish virgins. They didn't say, well, we told you. That's not what they did. Their response, even though it didn't work, their response was, hurry, go get right. Go do it yourself. Go get the oil. That was their response. Amen. Hurry, he's coming. Amen. And those that had the oil went and those that didn't, the Bible tells us they, at that moment, in that time, when they recognized this is real, this is happening, time is up, they ran to try to fix their situation. They pray the prayer. They do what they think needs done. But they are panicking because they have no oil. Their lamps have gone out. This is the truth of the hypocrite, is that eventually the light of his spiritual life goes out. It withers. It becomes very clear. It was just emotional. The person was just looking the part. The light's gone out. The final warning... They get the oil, they come back, but we see the door was shut. The foolish will be shut out of heaven. This is the warning that Jesus made over and over and over again. 
that the foolish are going to be shut out of heaven. Do you realize how many analogies in the Scriptures there are of people that after it's too late they want to get right? I mean, you've got the story of the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man's down in hell and he's like, you know, let me go back and tell my brothers because I don't want them to come. He changed his mind real quick. You got the story of Noah and the ark and the whole world is, you know, Noah's this preacher of righteousness and yet nobody's repented, nobody's turned. And what happens? God eventually shuts the door when the flood comes and it's too late. There is no more entering the door after the door is shut. You know the reason you shut a door? You shut the door after everybody's in that you want to be in and you want to keep everyone else out that's supposed to be out. That's what you do. Jesus said these foolish virgins at the last minute, then they'd want things to be real, then they want in. They want the blessings of heaven without ever having to truly follow Christ. It doesn't work that way. In some ways, you know what God says in that moment? You wanted to live your entire life on earth without me? Your will be done. You'll live the rest of it without me too. You had your chance. You had your opportunity. It's not as if God didn't plead. It's not, if God, it's not as if God did not pour His heart out. It's not as if God did not show us that He loved us and sent His Son to die for us so we might be saved. It's not as if He didn't confront us over and over and over again and compel us to turn from our ways, turn from our hypocrisy, turn from living our own direction, our own will, and turn to follow Him. It's not as if He didn't plead with us to do that over and over and over again. It's that we said no over and over and over again. And then we wanted to change our mind when the consequences of our actions show up on the door. And Jesus warns us and says, that's just not the way it works. That's not how it happens. The foolish were shut out of heaven. They were hoping they could all go in together as long as they went in as a group. They're all dressed the same, acted the same, looked the same, by all intensive purposes. None of us could tell who the five were and who the five weren't. Now granted, they knew because it's a matter of the heart. You know your heart. You know if you're here trying to convince people this morning that you're something you're not. You know. We don't. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. You know and God knows. But they had hoped that we'd all be able to go collectively. It's just not the way it works. Brothers and sisters, if the Lord was to return right now, it's not like God would look inside this building and say, well, there's a group of church folks. All of y'all, come on in. It's not the way it works. Each of us give an account to God for our own life and for our own faith. The foolish will be shut out of heaven. Now here's the practical application. Jesus says it in a word, the very last sentence. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. The Christian is commanded and warned to be constantly watching. The idea that somehow maybe we pray a prayer, get convinced that we're saved, go through baptism, and we're pretty sure we're saved, and we know we're saved, we think we're saved, 
And so guess I really don't need to be moving forward in my faith. That doesn't really matter. All I want to do is get to heaven. This is not a biblical concept. It's one that Jesus greatly warns about. It's one that Jesus tells us over and over and over again. You shouldn't think that way. You're on dangerous grounds you think that way. In fact, if that's honestly the way you think and you don't have a love for God to want to serve Him, I would encourage you this morning to really pray for some clarity on whether you're saved at all. We should love Him. We should desire to follow Him and serve Him. I want to close this morning with um, this thought. Jesus teaches this same thing really in a Uh, several different ways in the Sermon on the Mount. Longest, largest, most significant sermon ever recorded that Jesus gave. Sermon on the Mount. And he finishes that message with basically this entire chapter of the true and the false. And he makes this basic statement that broad is the road and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path and small is the gate that leads to eternal life. Here's the good news this morning. While the way is narrow and while the way is small, the way is still open. In which path you walk on, it's your choice. It is your choice. Brothers and sisters, we need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt this morning that our Lord calls us to follow Him. I just believe in Him, not pray some prayer. He calls us to follow Him. That means there ought to be a degree of holiness that marks the life of God's sons and daughters. That means that we read this book, we believe this book, and we obey this book. It's not possible to truly follow Christ. It's not possible, which is what a Christian means. It means to be Christ-like. It's not possible to be Christ-like. It's not possible to be a follower of Jesus if you're not obeying His Word. And this many of us that have been raised in this culture have been exposed to a very watered-down version of Christianity that basically says, everybody goes. Well, did you pray a prayer when you were six? You lived your whole entire rest of your life without any really following for Jesus, but uh, he prayed when he was six. Great, this one's in. This one here? Yeah, he cussed like a sailor, drank like a fish. Was quite a jerk to be around, but he did go to church. This one's in. Well, you know, this one never really showed much of a love for Jesus, but was part of a Christian family, and we believe somewhere down in there those seeds made a difference. You ever notice that at every funeral, everybody goes to heaven? Now, I say this cautiously, and I mean this sincerely. Not if you've ever heard me preach a funeral. I've never got up and said that somebody was in hell, ever. But I have never lied through my teeth when I was pretty sure I had no confidence a person was saved. I've never got up and said, well, this person's in heaven, ever. I'd be afraid God would strike me down with lightning. Because heaven and hell are real, brothers and sisters. They're real. 
And you know what Jesus said? The way to heaven's narrow. There's very few that find it. And yet there's this weird irony where in American Christianity, we think the road's broad. We think the road is super broad. We don't expect people to live like Christians, talk like Christians, treat other people like Christians. We don't expect repentance. We don't expect any degree of holiness. It's all just your personal thing, right? It's just between you and God. That's just not the case. That's why you need to read the Word, know what the Word says. We're actually accountable to one another. We're actually supposed to be part of the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We could do this all day if we wanted. The Bible does not teach anything such as secret service Christianity where nobody really knows about your faith but you and God. In fact, we see that when people in the scriptures are saved, they can't stop talking about it. They don't care what the consequences are. Cut their head off. Fine. They're still going to stand for Jesus. They're going to go tell the world, I was the one who was blind, but now I see. Half the time, because Jesus, his day hadn't come yet. He didn't want to be surrounded by the mobs. But half the time, Jesus, he'd heal somebody, do a miracle. He'd say, look, just keep this quiet for a little bit. Just like, just tell the only people you know, but don't go tell the whole city, man. They couldn't. How could they not tell? They were blind and now they see. They were lost and now they're saved. They were deaf and now they hear. And they couldn't keep it a secret. What am I trying to communicate as clearly as I can? I'm trying to communicate that real salvation changes us. And yes, it is possible to fake it for a while, but eventually the oil runs out and the light burns out and it's real evident. This morning, nothing could be more important than knowing that you're saved.